Hello everyone, I hope you're all doing very well. For today's valued viewer request, we've got from new from Carl on the YouTube. How does chaff and flare disrupt the seeker heads of guided missiles? In real life, there would be a very accurate cocktail of flares launched at the correct intervals and amount in order to defeat a missile. And I agree with that and I'd actually go a little bit further in testing what they found is that not only at the correct intervals and the correct correct amount in the correct directions, but it's actually the correct type of flare, the correct type of chaff. So for instance, they found that AIM-9X seeker heads, really good seeker heads, dodge NATO flares really well. Can't dodge Soviet flares, not Soviet, um, you know, Russian flares very well because of the type, the, the way they burn and so on. So it's very complex in real life. In DCS, not so complex. This is, of course, a guarded secret, but how does it work in DCS? Is one flare adequate or is more in random order better? Is maneuvering required or would chaff do the job itself? Well, first of all, I'd say I've actually got a whole bunch of videos on air combat and air to ground combat tutorials where I cover pretty much all of this. The good thing is it's not modeled complexly. It's all modeled fairly simply. Just very, very generally speaking, one flare timed at the correct time in DCS is just as effective as multiple flares in DCS. Is it like that in real life? No idea, probably not, but so be it. Regards chaff in DCS, chaff will almost never work on its own. You will have to do manoeuvring as well. But please go and watch those playlists if you want to know more. What I'm going to do now is twist the question to something that I hope will be a bit more interesting. We're going to look at the background throughout the years of how chaff and flare were developed and how they've changed over the last whatever it is, 70 years or so now. Chaff and flares, defensive countermeasures and the history behind them. And you can see this aircraft here, the amazing flare pattern that it's got when countermeasuring. Really spectacular. You can categorize active countermeasures like chaff and flares into two categories. Self-defense, chaff and flares meant to defeat a missile or aircraft attacking you. Two, support, chaff used to blind enemy radar so that other friendly aircraft can survive in hostile airspace and achieve its mission. Quick disclaimer here, this is talking about real life, not DCS. Some of this is not going to apply. In fact, a lot of this is not going to apply to DCS. There are generally two ways to accomplish this. One, through attached dispensers like chaff bombs or chaff bombs. Two, through dispensers integrated into the aircraft. Uh, chaff originally called window by the British and Dupel by the Second World War era German Luftwaffe is a radar countermeasure in which aircraft or other targets spread a cloud of small thin pieces of aluminium metalized glass fiber or plastic which either appears as a cluster of primary targets on a radar screens or swamps the screen with multiple returns. Modern armed forces use chaff in naval applications, for instance, using short-range SRBOC rockets to distract radar-guided missiles from their targets. Most military aircraft and warships have chaff dispensing systems for self-defense. An intercontinental ballistic missile may release its mid-course phase several independent warheads as well as penetration aids such as decoy balloons and chaff. Modern radar systems can distinguish chaff from a target object by measuring the Doppler shift. Chaff quickly loses speed compared to an aircraft and thus shows a characteristic change in frequency that allows it to be easily filtered out. This has led to new techniques where the chaff is further illuminated by an additional signal from the target vehicle with the proper Doppler frequencies. This is known as JAF, JAMA plus chaff or CHILL, chaff illuminated. I've got a picture here. 
just showing the tiny almost hair or sub hair size particles that we've got in this particular type of chap in the picture and I found that quite amazing because I never knew it got that thin. In the Second World War, the idea of using chaff developed independently in the United Kingdom, Germany and the United States and Japan. In 1937, British researcher Gerald Touch, while working with Robert Watson Watt on radar, suggested that lengths of wire suspended from balloons or parachutes might overwhelm a radar system with false echoes. In early 1942, a telecommunications research establishment, TRE, researcher named Joan Curran investigated the idea and came up with a scheme for dumping packets of aluminium strips from aircraft to generate a cloud of false echoes. The head of the TRE codenamed the device Window. In Germany, similar research had led to the development of Dupel. The German codename came from the estate where the first German test with chaff took place. Early chaff attempts was even A4 foil sheets with propaganda on the back. Very good. Examination of the Würzburg radar equipment brought back to the UK during Operation Biting February 1942 and subsequent reconnaissance revealed to the British that all German radars were opening in no more than three frequency ranges, making them prone to jamming. 24 crews were briefed on how to drop the bundles of aluminiumized paper strips. Treated paper was used to minimize the weight and to maximize the time that the strips would remain in the air, prolonging the effect. One every minute through the flare chute, using stopwatch to time them. The results proved spectacular. The radar-guided master searchlights wandered aimlessly across the sky. The anti-aircraft guns fired randomly or not at all, and the night fighters could not find the bombers. Their radar displays swamped with false echoes, utterly failed to find the bomber stream, with a loss of only 12 out of the 791 bombers on the first night. Squadrons quickly had special chutes fitted to their bombers to make chaff deployment even easier. Chaff in the United States was co-invented by astronomer Fred Whipple and Navy engineer Mervyn Bly. Whipple proposed the idea to the Air Force he was working with at the time. Early tests failed as the foil strips stuck together and fell as a clump to little or no effect. Bly solved this by designing a cartridge that forced the strips to rub against it as they were expelled, gaining an electrostatic charge. Since the strips all had a similar charge, they repelled each other, enabling the full countermeasure effect. In the Pacific theater, Navy Lieutenant Commander Sudo Yaim, sorry for the pronunciation, invented a Japanese version called Gimanshi, or Deceiving Paper. It was first used with some success in mid-1943, during night battles over the Solomon Islands. Competing demands for the scarce aluminium necessary for its manufacture limited its use. Versions of chaff. Modern aluminium coated fiberglass chaff. I personally had no idea it would look anything like this. It's my first look at this and I find that really interesting. RAF, chaff strips and chute. So this chute would allow this strip to hang down. Luftwaffe Dupel. Not sure of the scale there, but I'm guessing it's about th kind of thumbnail size. Flares, history and use. A flare or decoy flare is an aerial infrared countermeasure used by a plane or helicopter to counter an infrared homing, heat-seeking, surface-to-air or air-to-air -air missile. Flares are commonly composed of pyrotechnic composition based on magnesium or other hot burning metal with burning temperature equal to or hotter than the engine exhaust of the thing it's protecting. The aim is to make the infrared guided missiles seek out the heat signature from the flare rather than the aircraft's engine. The first IR flare developed as a countermeasure is the NOTS Model 704, which was developed around 1959. 
However, the studies on decoys for infrared started in the mid-50s, though the concept of using flares came later. The initial concepts were towed decoys. The Hayes Corporation, Birmingham, Alabama, initiated infrared countermeasures and radiation suppression studies in 1955. There was a need about 1957 to create a decoy device that would simulate the signature of a turbojet exhaust. Instead of the pyrotechnic decoy flare approach, proposed an inflatable envelope that absorbs the energy from the self-contained pyrotechnic and re-radiates this energy at lower temperature, approximating that of the heated surface of the turbojet engine. A report from this period had indications that the flares were used in the Vietnam War. There was no data on the exact time and location of the use of flares in combat. However, we can be sure that the IR flares were used in combat in the Vietnam. The Soviets too were developing IR flares at the same time. Not much detail is available about the reference. Surprise, surprise. Interestingly, it's not just aircraft, by the way, it's ships. Ships will send out IR flares. Ships will send out chaff and other decoys. Apart from military use, some civilian aircraft are also equipped with countermeasure flares against terrorism. Process. A flare goes through three main stages. Ignition, deployment, and decoying. Ignition. Nose flares like the MJU-27AB flares must be kept in an airtight storage compartment before deployment. These flares, known as pyrophoric flares, are made of special materials that ignite when they come into contact with the air. This is a safety and convenience factor since attempting to ignite a flare inside the fuselage and then deploying it is risky. However, pyrotechnic flares such as the MJU-32 also exist and offer their own safety benefit requiring an external ignition method. An accidental leak or puncture in the storage compartment would not result in a catastrophic fire on board the aircraft as with the pyrophoric flare. Deployment. Flares are most commonly gravity fed from a dispenser inside the aircraft fuselage. These dispensers can be programmed by the pilot or ground crew to dispense flares in short intervals, one at a time, long intervals or in clusters. Most currently used flares are that of the pyrophoric variety and thus the dispensers do not have to ignite and deploy the flare at the same time. With pyrotechnic flares a lanyard automatically pulls off a friction cap covering the exposed end of the flare as it falls from the dispenser. A friction surface inside the cap rubs against the exposed end of the flare similar to the match head striking surface and ignites the flare. Decoying. Flares burn at thousands of degrees Celsius which is much hotter than the exhaust of the jet engine. IR missiles seek out the hotter flame, believing it to be an aircraft in afterburner or the beginning of the engine's exhaust source. As the more modern infrared seekers tend to have spectral sensitivity tailored more closely match the emissions of the airplane and reject other sources, the so-called CCM or counter-countermeasures, the modernized decoy flares have their emission spectrum optimized to match the radiation of the airplane exhaust, mainly its engine and exhaust, in addition to spectral discrimination. In addition to spectral discrimination, the CCMs can include trajectory discrimination and detection of size of the radiation source. So it's, it's an arms race between the missile seeker head and the intelligence of the design of the flare. The newest generation of the FIM-92 Stinger uses a dual IR and UV seeker head which allows for a redundant tracking solution, effectively negating effectiveness of modern decoy flares, according to the US Department of Defense. While research and development in flare technology has produced an IR signature on the same wavelength as held exhaust, modern flares still produce an immutably different UV signature than an aircraft engine burning kerosene jet fuel. So that's an interesting way that they've uh, got ahead again. Materials used. 
For the infrared generating charge, two approaches are possible, pyrotechnic and pyrophoric, as we've talked about before. As stored, chemical energy source IR decoy flares contained pyrotechnic composition, liquid or solid pyrophoric substances, or solid, highly flammable substances. Upon ignition of the decoy flare, a strongly exothermal reaction is started, releasing infrared energy and visible smoke and flame, emission being dependent on the chemical nature of the payload used. Pyrotechnic flares. Pyrotechnic flares use a slow-burning fuel oxidizer mixture that generates intense heat. Thermite-like mixture, e.g. magnesium, teflon, phyton, MTV, are common. Other combinations include ammonium perchlorate, anthracene, magnesium, or can be based on red phosphorus. Pyrophoric flares work on the principle of ejecting a special pyrophoric material out of an airtight cartridge, usually using a gas generator, e.g. small pyrotechnic charge or pressurized gas. The material then self-ignites in contact with the air. The materials can be solid, e.g. iron platelets coated with ultrafine aluminium or liquid, often organometallic compounds, e.g. alkyl aluminium compounds, e.g. trethylanium. Pyrophoric flares may have reduced effectiveness at high altitudes due to lower air temperature and lower availability of oxygen. However, oxygen can be co-ejected with the pyrophoric fuel. A couple of Raphaels there, that's pretty awesome. Awesome picture. Cold War and Modern Times Five technological developments during the first half of the Cold War drove the need for more aircraft countermeasures. The proliferation of the IR-guided AA-2 Adel, itself a Soviet copy of the AIM-9B B Sidewinder. Two, the proliferation of airborne radars in intercept aircraft like MiG-19P, SU-9 and the MiG-21. Three, the development of a sophisticated Soviet air defense system built around GCI ground-corded intercept, where ground-based radars were used to talk pilots onto the target. Given that one, ground-based radars were the linchpin of the Soviet integrated air defense system, IADS, and two, the Soviets exported this IADS to Egypt, North Vietnam, and other Cold War countries, defeating Soviet ground-based radars was a major problem. Four, the proliferation of radar-guided SAMs like the SA-2 Guideline and SA-6 Gainful. Five, the proliferation of short-range IR-guided SAMs like the shoulder-fired SA-7 Grail and the mobile SA-9 Gaskin, SA-13 and so on. Cool picture there. Can't determine what helicopter that is, so you guys let me know, but it's pretty sweet. The Vietnam War in particular was a wake-up call for the United States. The successes of the VPAAF MiGs and SA-2 SAMs put pressure on Navy and Air Force to field countermeasures for North Vietnamese radar. The Navy initiated Project Shoehorn from 1967 to 1970, which upgraded the electronic suite of the F-4B Phantom II. The newly arrived F-4Js got upgraded to start it in 1968. It also added a Tracer ANALE29 countermeasures dispensing set. This system has two dispensers mounted on each side of the aircraft, each of which carried 30 flare cartridges, 30 chaff cartridges, or some combination of the two. By contrast, the USAF took a much more improvised approach to providing individual aircraft with chaff or self-defense. Aircraft didn't carry flares for self-defense. Allegedly, crew flying the RF-4 reconnaissance aircraft sometimes improvised using their photo flash cartridges to dazzle attacking MiGs. However, this ad hoc practice wasn't especially common. To give the fighters some chaff or defense, ground crews stuffed small cardboard boxes filled with chaff into the speed brake wells. Ha! The brakes could be opened to create one quick chaff bloom. Amazing. 
On the night of April 15, 1972, five four-plane flights took off from Thailand loaded with unusual ordnance. They carried what had once been M129 leaflet dropping bombs. However, these leaflet bombs weren't filled with propaganda. They were filled with chaff. These chaff bombs, newly redesigned as MJU-1B, were part of the Air Force's latest plan to strike North Vietnam. The 20 Air Force dropping their bombs, which burst at preset altitudes and scattered clouds of chaff into the night sky. The Air Force were able to create a chaff corridor 7 nautical miles wide, 30 nautical miles long, and 4,000 feet deep. Through this corridor, 17 B-52s flew unmolested to bomb Haiphong. Soon, every major strike by Thailand-based fighters or long-range B-52s was preceded by a line of F-4s dropping chaff bombs and the newly developed ALE dispenser pod. Usually, F-4s would carry out four to six chaff bombs, dispenser pod and two ECM pods. The dispenser pod would readily drop small amounts of chaff supplemented by period blooms of chaff from the bursting chaff bombs. I'll just address this quickly in DCS. So you've got the idea here of fighters going ahead and dropping plumes of chaff for the bombers to fly through. So if you're like kind of buddy dropping, buddy chaffing, I've tested that. I'll put another video link um, in the video description. And we've tested buddy chaffing in DCS. It does not work. It is a client-based thing only in that you can only countermeasure yourself in terms of chaff. You can't um, area saturate like this. You can strangely area saturate with flares, but not with chaff. It just doesn't work like that in DCS. Chaff missions weren't popular with the pilots who had to fly in them. The chaffers had to enter hostile airspace, which exposed them to MiG attack, chaff flights, and heavy fighter escorts as a result. Air Force heavily laden with chaff pods and dispensers were sluggish and hard to fly, and the mission didn't offer much chance of action or excitement. Instead of fighter pilots, the chaff bombers felt a bit like high-risk truck drivers. Still, the chaffing was highly effective. In one incident, 70 SA-2 SAMs were fired at a strike package preceding by chaff bombers. Every single missile was spoofed by the chaff. We've also got a couple of more professional videos here that I will link in the video description. I hope you enjoyed the presentation and see you later.